Welcome to another episode, a special episode of the Big J and Little J Show, where this is our first YouTube episode. I think it's episode 48, Connor, via podcast, but Damn. I think this will be episode, there is an old episode from season one on my YouTube channel, but I will probably take that off because we are we have upgraded, Connor, to StreamYard. So, welcome to new viewers. This is the Big J and Little J Show, where we discuss Duke athletics, Duke basketball, and Duke football. And we today we'll be recapping the Virginia Tech win last night, and we'll preview later the Duke UNC game this weekend. But first, Connor, Duke won seventy-seven to sixty-seven in Blacksburg. Duke was one in six in their previous one in five in the previous six matchups in Blacksburg. And a solid win for the program, Connor. This is the first time since 2019-2020 uh, that Duke won at Virginia Tech. Yeah, um, I was up there. It was uh, trying to trying to think of a way to say this in a column that'll come out on Devils Illustrated later in the week. Uh, it was Duke's 20th game, and I think it's the first one that I went into thinking they were going to lose. Like I was more convinced. I was at least more convinced they were going to lose that game than any of the previous 19. Like the Arizona game, I thought was a toss up. It was so early in the season. Um, you know, the Arkansas game, you knew they were walking into a buzzsaw, but Arkansas was coming off a terrible performance in whatever MTE they were in. I think they're in the Bahamas. Um, nobody saw Georgia Tech coming. We should have seen Pitt coming. Like, I think we talked about that last week. Uh, all the factors that we kind of pushed to the side in that one with the Capels emotion emotionalness emotionality i should be able to come up with a better word than that but the emotions of the capels when they come to tobacco road should have should have tipped us off there i don't know about you i thought they were losing last night uh by the score that they wound up winning by like i i thought it was easy money for anybody that was gonna bet virginia tech yeah no i i if you would have like when the seasons the schedule came out this was one of the games where it's like hey you're just going to have to face – it's an average tag and at NC State every year where I'm like, this is going to be a tough test for Duke, no matter if they're O for in the conference. They're going to give Duke a run for their money at Virginia Tech or in PNC. And it's a Saturday-Monday. Like, it's the second half of a two games in three days, and that's just so hard. And one of the things that we didn't – you know, I'm not going to get into the details of a post-game presser. I wish we had talked a little more to John and the players last night about – what makes Virginia Tech such a difficult scout on short rest? Because as we've seen last year, when they played up in Blacksburg, it was a Saturday, Monday, and Virginia Tech ran everything in their offense to perfection. Like Hunter Couture got five threes. Um, can't remember who else burned them up there. I feel like it was pretty, pretty even spread. I just remember Couture because he was coming off of the seven three-pointers um, the previous year in the ACC championship game. But and then the ACC championship game, obviously, that's a even shorter rest. And Virginia Tech blew through Duke, uh, really felt like they shot about 70 percent in that game. Yeah, they so, by the three and die by the three for sure. They do. And it's it's another discussion that we probably don't have time for to, to talk about how Mike Young winds up with a team with so few shooters. Uh, I'm kind of shocked that he has two centers rumbling out there and bumbling and you can stand 10 feet away from them when they're at the top of the key and not worry about it. But no, it was, uh, it was a complete performance from Duke. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Um, one of the other most impressive things about it to me 
know, Virginia Tech isn't the best rebounding team. It's not like they, you know, Duke is going to play a lot better of a rebounding team on Saturday. Let's put it that way. We, we know that. Um, but Duke got out-rebounded by nine by Clemson. And mm. Clemson was so much tougher on the boards than they were uh, so much more physical. Duke had a 27-rebound spin uh, going plus 18 against Virginia Tech. And a lot of times uh, those second chance points were exactly what Duke needed. The The most important ones were the three at the end of half where Jeremy Roach gets a wing three, it misses. Sean Stewart gets the rebound and kind of tips it to Flip. And Flip gets it back to Roach who shoots over Robbie Barron and gives him a little bit of an ass pat uh, on, his, on his way by when the ball goes in. Um, I mean, John called it the most important play of the game. Flip called it one of the most important plays of the game. Um, Roach didn't quite go that far, but he, he knew what he did. Um, he knew how important that was, especially because the end of halves, you know, we've, we've gone from talking about Duke's slow starts to now talking about they start games well and they play well in the first halves. And then in the first three, last three to four minutes of first halves, they kind of let everything get away from them and, and go into halftime feeling a little sorry for themselves. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge – that was my X factor for the game. I was on Locked On Blue Devils yesterday, and uh, that was my thing was, look, this Virginia Tech team, their leading rebounder had, came in averaging six and a half rebounds. This is a team you have to take advantage of on the glass, and on the road, a recipe for success is stealing possessions on the offensive glass. And Ryan Young did that. Duke had 10 offensive rebounds, and Virginia Tech as a team had 20 total rebounds. So when you have half of – a team's total rebounds, that's a winning recipe for Duke and a losing recipe for Virginia Tech. I mean, they turn the ball over only four times. Like, if you turn the ball over less than five times in a game, you win that eight out of ten times. But Duke just continues to win games, Connor, in different variations, like different ways. They're out-rebounded against Clemson, but they still found a way. They out-rebound Virginia Tech and don't turn them over, but they still found a way. Yeah, they lost turnovers by ten last night. Yeah, when you have 14 turnovers on the road, that's a recipe for disaster. So it's just yeah, like that's where box scores are just – it's crazy. That's a season high for Duke. I don't – I wouldn't expect uh, 14 turnovers in many games based on the way they take care of the ball normally. And I did the math. I don't know if they were quite at 14 yet, but I did the math during the game. And at one point, it was like five out of 12 Duke turnovers were on offensive fouls. So – yeah, those are turnovers. They're also turnovers that aren't giving your opponent a fast break. They're they're taking the ball out on their end of the court. It there's there's a difference when you talk to coaches and when you talk to players. Uh, the live ball turnovers are the ones that kill you. Yeah, the um, dead ball is gone. They they will kill you against North Carolina. I, I keep wanting to jump us ahead, and we're not there yet. But uh, Duke has done a great job of limiting live ball turnovers and. Part of that is as simple as you you have play three guards at a time, sometimes four guards. They're going to take care of the ball a little better than when you have uh, Mark Mitchell at the three, flip at the four, and a five in there, um, like we saw last year. So, yeah, it's turnovers was a weird stat last night. Rebounding mattered so much. Um, nine for seventeen on threes mattered so much. And when you when you dove into the threes. Really, one of the one of the things that stood out to me you know, when you 
when you drive back from one of these places for two hours, you have a lot of time to spend rehashing the game in your head. And uh, there were there was a sequence in each half where Duke hit three threes in less than three minutes. So it wasn't just this constant drip of three pointers that Duke was pouring in. It was they were they were hitting them with a sledgehammer, basically, is the way I think of little sprints like that. And that really took the crowd out of the game. Like, I've been up to Blacksburg now three times for games, and last night was the most muted atmosphere I've seen it. Um, and and that's because Duke kind of beat Virginia Tech at its own game with the three-pointers. Um, you, you're able to shoot that efficiently, and fans are going to sit on their hands and, and wonder why can't we make those shots. Yeah, poor guy got there, what, at like 12 p.m. the day before and just sat there the whole time and just watched a loss. That's a tough – it's a tough way to have a day right there. But to go off was they feature some student there? Yeah, it was like the early he was the number he was the first guy in line for the game. And I think it was 12 p.m. the day before. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But but I was gonna go off of that, Connor, about Duke's hot shooting. I mean, 55% from the field, 53 from three. But what's even crazier to me, because we keep talking about these box score stats that that are crazy. Duke having 14 turnovers and out rebounding by 18, but one to me that's crazy individually is Jared McCain's the best shooter for Duke. He was three of 10 from the field and one of six from three, and Duke shot over 50% from the field and three. And I know I talked about it last episode about the home and away splits, and if you're just tuning in for the first time, Jared McCain, I think, shoots about 49% at home from three. Now he shoots about 23% from three on the road. And this past week, Duke was 2-0 and going into the Carolina game this weekend. Against Clemson at home, he had 21 points, 8 of 12 from the field, 67%, and then 43% from three. And then against Virginia Tech, like I just said, three of 10, one of six. So it's just, it's crazy. Maybe he needs to just stay and miss the bus and get shots up on away games, Connor. <laughs> this is where I make another joke about the uh, Jared McCain an hour after the game, still in uniform, shooting in Cameron. Um, which he does after every single home game with TJ Power. Yep. I mean, it works clearly because his home stats back it up. Yeah. Uh, I guess if you're a Duke fan, you're hoping that he saved up all his road threes for Saturday. Yeah. Uh, geez, that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> but I also want to go in, Connor, will give Ryan Young his dues, a.k.a. the pod god. 15 minutes, 10 points, five rebounds, three of those offensive, like we've talked about, two assists, and a great block. That block, I was like, I did not know you could jump over a piece of paper, Ryan. I mean, he had a dunk and a block. Like, those knees, he stretched before the game, Connor. And he he was second on the team in plus minus. You know I'm big in the plus minus on it when it goes in my favor at plus 10. And the leader of the plus minus, Connor, was Jeremy Roach at plus 12. And I want to say this on that. I don't know the last time I've ever seen a plus minus. Like, the best plus minus has come off the bench in a win. Normally, the best plus minus happens when the team loses by 30 off the bench because you got the bench guys coming in just shooting and being like plus six in a 30-point loss. So to see the plus minuses be Jeremy Roche and Ryan Young off the bench, again, just a great all-around team win for Duke. You'll have to forgive the dog here. He's, uh, he's a big Ryan Young fan, so he wants to make sure he gets his due. Well, he's a dog just like Ryan Young, so it makes sense. <laughs> no, I – Look, we, we've talked about this. Like, Ryan Young 
has his games where he can be effective. I thought he would be more effective against Clemson than he was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do get a kick out. That's, that's why I tweeted. I get a kick out of every time that he gets a block because he has seven in the last seven games. And he has a stretch there where he had like four or five games in a row with at least one and a couple of those with two. Um, and he has two dunks in 20 games. So it's just hilarious. It, like, it, I know he's an easy target, and I know it's it's easy for Duke fans to look at him and think, why don't we have uh, an actual rim protector at center to play flip at the four more? And, man, he, he just is who he is. Like, he, there is – I don't think there's anybody on Duke's roster who's more comfortable with their role than Ryan Young is coming off the bench, knowing where to pick his spots – um, he, you know, I haven't gotten any inkling that he's complained about his minutes this year. Um, it's not like he's a guy looking to get a NBA contract and play professional basketball for 15 years. Like he knows who he is. He knows he's an under the rim center. And last night he used that to his advantage. Like he, you know, Malijal Petit is going up to the rim, not thinking that he's going to get blocked from behind by Ryan Young. He knows that Ryan Young is back there, and that's why he's going up and cocking it back like he did. Um, you know, Ryan Young, like he had, uh, was it two layups that he used the use the basket as a defender? Like, you know, Mike and drill, baby, Mike run and a drill. Mike and drill, and and make a reverse layup. One of them. One of them I thought he made more difficult than it needed to be. I thought he could have just gone up with the left instead of doing a reverse. But, hey, whatever works. Um, what I love about his game, Connor, is he is the textbook definition for a high school coach. Like, this is how you get offensive rebounds and rebound. You hit him in the chest, you turn, you move him out of the way. Because yeah. him and Sean Stewart, I tweeted it, and I stand by it. They're two of the better offensive rebounders on the team coming off the bench. And one has freakish athleticism in Sean Stewart, and the other is Ryan Young, who just positions himself so well, and he plays below the rim, but he gets offensive boards and defensive boards because he knows how to you how to uh, just use it as a talent. Like it's insane, and yeah. I love him for it. Like you said, he knows his role, and that's why I've been a Ryan Young stand since last year. Like he's easy to poke fun at, like you said, because. Duke doesn't have below the rim fours or five players. Like they have guys that jump out of the gym. And if they can't jump out of the gym, they shoot the three like TJ Power and Filipowski. Ryan Young does not. And he just, he's an old fashioned 1950s, 60s NBA player and just goes, plays the mic and drill. And I love him for it. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm trying to think. Like even he's fresh in my mind because he was at the game on uh, Saturday against Clemson. But even like Marshall Plumley, I remember getting rim runs and dunks. Uh, when he'd come in and spell Jaleel Okafor for a few minutes a game in 2015. Like, yeah, Duke doesn't have many guys like Ryan Young. Uh, I don't know if they'll have another guy like Ryan Young after this year. Uh, like, his eligibility's up, and, you know, I, I don't know that I don't know that anybody's going to mistake Cooper Flagg's game for Ryan Young's. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know the next time Duke will have a Ryan Young. Like, he yeah, really right. is a unicorn in Duke basketball and what this one-and-done era has become. Like, in maybe, like, 20, 2006, 2007, like the Paulus team, he would have fit right in for the stereotypes. But yeah. not the 2024, not from post-Zion to now, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to touch base, Connor, on – I talked about Roche just briefly, but 
He seemed healthier against Virginia Tech because Clemson, he did play, but he was, I think, one of six or something like that from the floor. And you could tell, like, he's still coming off the injury of his knee or ankle. And uh, I'm sure that he's living in the ice bath in the training room for this whole week because th- not only three games, but three high-caliber games this week for Clemson at Virginia Tech and now at UNC. What were your thoughts on his performance? Oh, Shire even told us that he hasn't practiced in a week and a half. So he's he is breaking in half John's rule of you have to I don't, I'm not sure if it's John's rule don't quote me on that but we always hear it from John uh, maybe it's maybe it's from the medical people but we always hear that a Duke player has to play five on five in practice before they can play in a game. We've had so many of these that we've had to check on over the last even just the last two years with John as the coach you know, Dariq Whitehead, Derek Lively, Jeremy Roach last year with the toe, Tyrese Proctor with the ankle in December. It There are a lot. Um, Jeremy Roach has not done that. Like, he has not been practicing at all. Um, He's Seth Curry this year. Yeah, he, he, is, he is not a practicing player right now, but I tend to think when it's your fourth year in the program, um, John – hit hard on these notes last year about he and Jeremy have just been through so much together. Like you, it's easy to forget Jeremy came in with DJ Stewart as a freshman when nobody could come to games and then had role fluctuation with the Paolo team that went to the final four and, and caught fire and carried Duke to some, some NCAA tournament wins um, back in 2022 got hot and was great in the ACC tournament last year when Duke won it. Um, I think when a player has built up that kind of uh, trust with his coaches, I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Like he's going to have a little more benefit of the doubt with knowing his body and knowing how much he can push himself compared to if Tyrese Proctor is going through the same thing, if Jared McCain's going through the same thing, that kind of thing. So, you know, Maybe maybe there's some double standard type stuff in there, but it's also it's trust and feel. And it's knowing that a player who's been in college basketball for four years, who's been in the ACC for four years, is going to know the limits of, of what he can and can't do. Yeah, I mean, he's look, he's a senior, like you said. I mean, he has senior like royalties, basically, of like, hey, seniority. he has seniority. Right. Yes, seniority. He he gets he gets benefit of the doubt. Just like I said, Seth Curry, people that's not aware, Seth Curry's last year at Duke, his shin splints were so bad he didn't practice. He just basically played in games and averaged 18 points per game and shot like 50% from three. Like he was unbelievable. And yeah, with Roach, like, huh? I'd forgotten that. No, yeah, was he, that 20 he, was that 2013, the year after Austin Rivers? Yes. So, yeah. He was he's honestly one of the most underrated scorers for Duke. Like in terms of a singular season, yeah, and that season was special with him. But with Roach, his career so far, like we're going to look back. Whatever this happens in the season happens. So I'm not going to say what happens this season. But with him, his first year, like you said, was COVID 2020. That was the most disappointing Duke team since the 94 team in terms of win losses. They would have missed the NCAA tournament. They were 500, right above 500 when the season canceled. Coach yep. K was like, hey. There's something called COVID. Let's cancel the season because he knew, hey, his guys weren't going to be in March anyway. So he's the first to get ahead of that. Shout out to no, Coach you're Ray. you're con- you're confusing the years. That was oh. that was 2020 at the ACC tournament. 
21 was the year they were 500. Yeah, and then you're correct. Got uh, COVID tested out of the ACC tournament after a win. You're correct. You're correct. Uh, but his so his freshman year though was the season where they was it or sophomore year where they struggled. DJ Stewart. No freshman year. Okay. Yeah. So basically, what I was going at is when Jalen Johnson year. Yeah, when they first started at Duke, it was the most forgettable Duke team in a yeah. long time. I like, you. I still see like Jamin Brakefield for Ole Miss. I forget he was on the team. Henry Coleman, Texas A and M. Like, my point being, you started there as a freshman, and then he played in a Final Four, and then last season he plays in the he wins the ACC. And so, what is the ceiling for this season? Where you look back, it's like this is a four-year guy that appeared in the Final Four and made big shots to get to the Final Four, won the ACC. Can Duke win the regular season ACC? Like, obviously, you have to beat UNC, who looks unstoppable right now. But if you don't, if you win the ACC again in the ACC tournament, that's that's an impressive resume he's built in four years at Duke, considering where he started after year one. And so he's just an easy guy to pull for, too. And I know this UNC game that we're about to go into with him and R.J. Davis is going to be high-caliber guard play. The other, the other part of it I would add on Roach, and this is from the inside baseball of of the inside the locker room and the our relationship as media with the players. I love talking to Jeremy. Um, he he has a deeper uh, recall than I than I think I gave him credit for initially. Um, than most players really have. Like even last night. Um, He's he cited to us right away that Hunter Couture had seven threes in the ACC championship game against him two years ago, and he cited that Hunter Couture had five threes up in Blacksburg last year. Like that stuff, I'm not able to tell you that without going to Hunter Couture's career page and looking at what he's done against Duke. Jeremy just knows it, and uh, there's there's been other times where um, he'll he'll ask us for confirmation on stuff and it's like yep Jeremy yep yep yeah 22 against uh Oral Roberts or whatever and yeah he's he's a really good one for us to talk to he doesn't always give the longest answers like sometimes you kind of got to pump him for information a little bit but he'll hit you with some gems and uh like and uh, uh, as we continue to drop segues to the Carolina game it was last year's first Duke Carolina game that was at Cameron where was it, was it tied or was Duke up one when he hit flip on the roll to late and score? I'm not exactly sure. I want to say it was tied. Whatever that play was, Jeremy Roach told us in, in answering a question that he knew Carolina was going to miscommunicate and leave flip open on a roll. And I asked him how he knew that, and he said because they weren't really talking all game. It's like, okay, that's a high IQ play. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um. Thanks. Thanks for that nugget. Uh. Are you telling me that there's chemistry issues on this Carolina team? Are you <laughs> Are you telling me that their defense is not exactly in sync? Um. That was just. I, if I could get insight like that uh, after every game. I'd be a I'd be happy journalist pounding out my stories for dozens of people to read. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a hell of a tidbit from him. And one other guy too for Duke Connor that is his backcourt counterpart. That I don't know even if Roach comes off the bench again, like him and Proctor will be the two headed monster for Duke. I know Caleb Foster he started out hot for Duke. He had all eight points within like the first eight minutes of the game, and uh, 
played about I think he played 15, 20 minutes for the for the whole game, maybe 25. I'm not looking at the minutes right now, but point being it's going to be Roach and Proctor. And I want to talk about Proctor because I know we talked about him in previous episodes about he was inconsistent and stuff, but honestly, like looking back from me saying that earlier, it just seems like he's now health not only healthy but but confident because his first four games back from injury, he scored nine points, 14, zero, and three. He averaged six and a half points per game in his first uh, four games. And three of those games he shot uh, – or I'm sorry, he shot three or more free throws in one and four of those games. You know, I said – if he shoots three or more free throws, his shots look – his points per game go up. And so in his last five games, Connor, since that first four-game stretch out of injury, he's averaging 16 points per game on 50% shooting, 48 from three. He had four straight games shooting three or more free throws before not shooting one against Virginia Tech. But in that game, there was really no fouls called. Duke shot 10 free throws. Virginia Tech shot 12 as a team. So that just kind of happened with the game flow of that game. But clearly, the more he's aggressive – He's put defenders on islands back-to-back games with Clemson and against Virginia Tech. Like, I really think Duke is starting to reach another ceiling because Proctor has found his confidence. He's got his swagger back. Yeah, I've I've wanted to ask him after the last couple games if he needed some games coming back from the injury to feel like he was 100% on that ankle. Um, And as we've talked, like – knees and ankles, you can can come back and you can be medically cleared and you can be ready to play – and there's just there's going to be a mental hurdle there, and it's a matter of getting over it. And it takes everybody different amounts of time to get past that injury. So, if if I had to guess, I think his what he'd tell you is it took him a little bit to get over it. But now that he's over it, he's confident. Um, I think I even caught a an Instagram clip from Duke's account that uh, he was going back and forth with Ryan Young about who has more dunks this year, and Ryan Young is two to one on him, and. He said, like, now my ankle is 100%. So it gives you an idea of, of just how he feels on the ankle. Um, and I'm right there with you. Like, if Duke is going to get this version of Tyrese Proctor, like last night, along with the 12 points, I think it was five assists and three rebounds. That's the version of him that they need. They need top 20 pick Tyrese Proctor. They need the kid that oozes NBA potential. Um six five with whatever his wingspan is i'm sure it's probably longer than six five uh that's the type of player that duke needs in the last month or two of the season yeah i mean and that's what's going to segue us now connor to the duke unc preview that we've so been waiting for so duke 16 and 4 travels to the dean dome and face off against 17 and 3 unc unc is obviously first in the acc at nine and oh duke is right there behind them after a slow start. And obviously UNC is led by the favorite twin AC player of the year in R.J. Davis. R.J. Davis is a superstar in the ACC and then college basketball. Like, he is unbelievable. He's averaging 21 points per game, Connor. He has scored in double figures every single game this year except for game three against UC Riverside where he had eight points on three of 11 shooting and a 25-point win. So they didn't even need him. And he scored in double figures – in 17 straight games, and oh, by the way, in 12 of those 17 games, Connor, he has scored more than 20 points per game, including the 36 that you witnessed as you cover Wake Forest as well in the Dean Dome. So, with that being said, what's your thoughts on Duke UNC? Tyrese Proctor on him right away. I mean, that's – I think Duke sticks with the same starting lineup. 
Um, so I think Jeremy Roach keeps coming off the bench, even though he, you know how good he is, and you know his minutes are probably going to be more than at least Caleb Foster, maybe Jared McCain too. But I don't think John messes with something that's worked for the last two games. Um, so that means to start the game, you're looking at put Tyrese Proctor on him and Wake plays drop coverage on ball screens pretty exclusively. So RJ Davis was able to get to the mid range a lot and he's, he's a crafty four year guard. Like he's, he's can score from a lot of different places on the court. And that's what he did against wake. Uh, his three pointers against wake were really in transition and off of one rotation where wake was just late and uh, just a bad defensive possession and with good ball movement. Um, man, but, but you said it like he is, he's an explosive, he's more explosive than I thought he was. And I really didn't think he was explosive. The first time I, I want to say the first time I saw him was uh, in 2022 when Duke went to Carolina and won that first game of the year by 20 something. Uh, the AJ Griffin went off game. Um, I really did not think much of RJ Davis. I remember thinking that. And then I remember the game at Cameron. He had, he had a great game. Uh, I want to say, and thinking like, you can't let that guy beat you. Like he, he, He's a little midget guard. What is what does he bring to the table? Yeah, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to crush the kid. Like right, right, right. I'm trying to take you through the journey of like what your thoughts were. Man, he's so much better than I ever gave him credit for, uh, and he's just kept getting he's he's kept getting better through the years to now. I I mean, if you want to say the Houston guard Jamal Shedd is better than him, if if you want to pick a UConn guard, then maybe. Um, I don't, is there another guard in college basketball who's better than him, though? No, no, dude. He's. Like, I love his game. Like it yeah. pains me that how much I love his game. He's the smoothest goal. He's the smoothest player in the in the college basketball to me. Like I just never out. Of, he's never out of control. Uh, no, he's never trying to do too insane. much. Yeah, yeah. The way he his pace is insane, and like one it, looking back, obviously a year ago, seeing the most efficient player in a backcourt and the most inefficient player in the backcourt sharing the same backcourt, you wonder why you go from preseason number one and missing the tournament. That just wasn't going to work. And it clearly shows that R.J. Davis was the right man to keep because the dude just is a scorer. And he, he's so good. He's so crafty, man. And I, I love, he's a three-way, three-level scorer, and he's special. And my, my key to the game, one of them is R.J. Davis will score in double figures, like I just said, but you got to make it hard on him. And yeah. you got to make him score 20 on six of 18 shooting. You got to turn him into a volume score, like a Caleb Love. Like I just said, that he was insufficient, but you got to make RJ Davis have an off game. He's going to score 20, but make it six of 18. You can't make it seven of eight, where he is Blake Henson and he's just throwing a beach ball into the ocean. Yeah, he scored 60 points in his last two games. Yeah, he's, dude, he's nuts. He's nuts. And also, like, my thing, like, Duke and UNC, though, are very similar teams. Like Roach and R.J. Davis are both two really good guards that are very competitive. You know what you're going to get basically on day in and day out with a healthy Roach and then obviously R.J. Davis. And then you like, like Harrison Ingram, Mark Mitchell is an exciting matchup. Proctor, I don't know if Proctor or Roach will guard R.J. Davis or Cadeau, but regardless, it's two talented backcourts against each other. I think if they're both in, you'll probably like 
some of this will depend on Jeremy's health, but I would guess if Jeremy's 100%, you'll see Jeremy on Davis and with when Proctor's in the game at the same time, you'll either see him on Cadeau or Cormac Ryan. Um, cause Cormac Ryan's got length. Uh, you know, John, then again, John could do what he did uh, to start against Virginia Tech and put Caleb Foster on Sean Padula and have yeah. Proctor just follow uh, Couture around ball screens. Um, I don't think that'll be the case, but don't be surprised if it is. It'll, it'll be interesting for sure because those two are obviously the backcourts tell the story, but I think a sneaky matchup, not even counting Filipowski and Baycott because this doesn't equate to them, but Harrison Ingram has 17 rebounds against Florida State. Mark yeah, Mitchell crashes the glass just as hard as he does. Obviously, he doesn't put that number up, but both those guys are high motor wings. Like It's going to be a battle when the ball goes up. See, your favorite player on Carolina is R.J. Davis. I think it's safe to say. Yeah. Minus Harrison Ingram, like that guy, that guy's motor, that guy's rebounding ability. Um, look, Hubert Davis has brought in four guys in the portal in his three years as coach to play the four in his offense or defense too. But um, I would say he went one and a half and one and a half and four. Uh, Dawson Garcia was a train wreck. Pete Nance got blamed for everything that went wrong last year that wasn't Caleb Love's fault. Um, I give you the half. I give you the half for Brady Manic because I, I don't think of Brady Manic as having a great season. I think of Brady Brady Manic having a good six weeks, a great six weeks. It's fair, but like he was not that for the entire season. It gets lost in translation and it gets lost in the myth of the guy came in and hit a shitload of threes to get him to the championship game and beat beat Duke twice. Yes, sure. I completely agree with that, but don't pretend that he was an 18 point a game scorer for the entire season. And he was a liability on defense. That's why AJ Griffin cooked his ass in the Dean dome. But I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, valid, <laughs> valid. I, I see Harrison Ingram as like, Oh, that's what Hubert has been looking for. Like, that's what Hubert wants that position to be. And it all makes sense. Like, that guy is a monster. He's 6'7, 235. I believe every bit of the, the weight and height with him. Um, and the thing that I've already put on the message board, uh, and and I'll say this now. The one part I, I felt like I was really prepared to see Carolina when I went and saw him last week when they played Wake. The one thing I was not not prepared for and really surprised by was they bring in Jalen Withers off the bench, the transfer from Louisville, and stick him at the four, and then they put Harrison Ingram at the three. Nobody in this league has a three that can contend with six, seven, two thirty-five. Like you're trying to put Jared McCain on that and ask yeah. him to box out against that and defend him in the post. Like that's that's silly. But I think the one team that could do that, though, Connor, to guard that would be Duke because Duke's found that rotation with Mitchell playing the three where you can play Ryan Young and flip together. It is, and and that's exactly the rest of my message board post was John has played more of that combination. He's played more of either Ryan Young or Sean Stewart at the five, move flip back to the four where he was comfortable last year, and move Mark Mitchell to the three where he was comfortable last year. Uh, I'm not saying those guys are uncomfortable now. It's just 
it's different than where they were playing in November and December for the most part. Right. So I think we will see a lot of that lineup. I, I don't think you're going to see it to start. I don't think you're going to see all that much of it. But I do think when you see Ingram, Withers, and either Washington or Baycott at the five, that's when Duke is going to kind of be forced to go big. You don't you don't ever want to say that another team's lineup forces you to do anything. You want to dictate, you know, you want to impose your lineups on the other team. I just think you're you're running you're you're setting yourself up for failure if you try to run three guards out there when they have Harrison Ingram playing matched up against one of them. Isn't it crazy that we're just talking about RJ Davis, Harrison Ingram, and then we're just not really talking about Baycott because He's a fifth-year senior, and I think he was preseason AC player of the year last season. But he just seems to have regressed. Because I, I was in my notes here, Connor, I have who will step up alongside R.J. Davis for UNC. Because I said you'd expect fifth-year senior Amanda Baycott. He's our second-leading scorer and averaging 13 and 10, but he's shooting 53%. That's not good when you realize all those touches are around the rim. And – I looked at his stats from his career. This is arguably his worst season, Connor, since his freshman season where he averaged nine and a half points per game on 47% shooting. Like back-to-back seasons before this, he was averaging 16 and 12 or 16 and 13 and shooting in the 60s. Now he's averaging 13 and 10 and 53%. So, you know, that's just kind of – it's kind of crazy to see a guy that had such high expectations, and I know – he holds the record for most rebounds at UNC, but in a weird way, it feels like he's just not really done anything this season. It's kind of to the point where when my guy Joe Giglio says that Efton Reed against Armando Baycott is a wash and Efton Reed might be a little better, it's not an outlandish thing to say when you consider what Efton Reed brings to Wake defensively. Yeah, Baycott, averaged, Baycott in the last two games, Connor, has scored five points. I know. Both games. Yeah, we, we were talking about this yesterday in the Virginia Tech media room. Um, David Teal is a is a great columnist. He just won Virginia Sports Writer of the Year for like the 15th year. Uh, I always joke with him that, that they're going to name that after him. Um, Armando is from Richmond, so he's, he's basically raised the point of like, if you told me going into the last two games that Armando Baycott would have five points and Carolina would beat Wake Forest, really handily and win at Florida state. I don't know if I would have believed you. And it's just kind of like, I kind of would because that team doesn't need him to score 20 points and get 15 rebounds to win. And that's where, that's where the, the discussion around Armando Baycott has to kind of pivot toward when you have RJ Davis having the season he's having, when you have role definition that leads Harrison Ingram to average like, 14 rebounds a game this month or whatever it is. It's insane. Um, Cormac Ryan is really good at picking his spots and, and getting easy buckets. Cause he's, he's in his sixth year of college. Like he was in the same recruiting class as Zion. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's not imperative for Armando Baycott to dominate games the way that sometimes he had to in the last two years. And I, I'm told uh, I don't know that I can sign off on having seen this uh, firsthand, but I'm told that his defense is better this year. I'm told that like he's he's able to kind of affect the game in other ways rather than just dominating on the inside with points and rebounds. Um, you know, 
I guess. Like, I, I, look, I get it. Like, they, I will say when we've done the previews or the last couple episodes, I've looked back at trying to compare Duke and UNC with like similar opponents. And I talked about the Clemson was cold against them. And I think it was uh, at Pittsburgh. They had, they were a six point game and then they blew, like, extended it. But their defense as a team is really good. But I don't know how much you can put on Baycott. And I get the spin zone of like, hey, he's having a, bad offensive season so let's just say he's locked in defensively also so i can see it both ways but and maybe and both can be true both can be like he's regressed offensively and he has locked in more defensively because he realizes he doesn't need to score 20 and 10 a night he can just have seven and seven for this team but elliot cadeau is another guy uh that the last two games he had 14 against wake and 16 against florida state but it, like there's still question marks. He's averaging, I think, like seven points or eight points per game. To where if Duke blitzes RJ Davis on ball screens, is this a guy that can go get the bucket when it's a swing pass away? Because he's four of twenty from three. So Duke's going to sag off on him, and Duke's going to play him, let him shoot. And so the question for the young freshman is: Can you make the shots when Duke sags off? Because Duke's going to lock in on RJ Davis. Yeah, I, I, you're gonna you're gonna use yesterday's blueprint as what Duke is gonna do defensively. I think I looked at some point late in the first half, and MJ Collins had taken as many as uh, more shots than Padula and Couture combined. Like it was seven for Collins and six for the two of them. Duke is going to want Elliot Cadeau and Cormac Ryan and Paxson Wojcik and Seth Trimble when they're in there, like. Yeah, you guys shoot everything you want. If you make a couple, that's fine. If if you make a shitload of them and beat us, I don't like we're gonna be pissed, but that that's fine. Like the you're playing a percentages game, and uh, to use one of the things that John said about Virginia Tech's offense is it's a pick your poison offense. Like Duke can either get beat by R.J. Davis, uh, or Duke can get beat by other guards. Uh, I watched Wake Forest get beat by R.J. Davis the other night. Like, yeah, it, it's it's very much going to be funnel shots away from R.J. Davis and make everybody else beat us. Um, probably not Armando. Like, you don't you don't want to see Armando go off for twenty eight and fifteen and foul uh, everybody into foul trouble in the first half and have his way in there. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's going to be a pretty easy game plan to track when you're just looking at how many shots, who's who, who the shots have come from. Well, so Connor, we'll close with this. What is your key to the game? Is there anything in particular that Duke needs to do to win the game in the Dean Smith center? I would say, I don't even want to say hold RJ Davis under any kind of points. I think it's just make him, make, make him, him inefficient. Um, take away, what he wants to do and what he wants to do is score at all three levels. So it's really hard to do that. <laughs> Not too many people have done it this year. Like maybe call up the Highlanders. I looked up who UC Riverside's uh, mascot was so that I could drop that one in there. That's pretty, um, that's pretty impressive. To be yeah. Honest. Ask them, ask them what they did. Uh, but no, I mean, like, like I said, I think on the last episode, I've seen two teams this year that I think can win the national championship. And one of them is Arizona. And I think I have to walk that back because they just keep losing games to bad Pac-12 teams. But the other is Carolina. Like this this team, uh, 
the one thing I'll end on, like their role definition is so precise, so clear. Like nobody tries to do anything out of body. Nobody, nobody takes it upon themselves. Like you're not going to see Seth Trimble jack up three threes in two minutes that he's in there. Like they just know who they are. Um, and that comes from experience. That comes from having an older team. And I, honestly, like, I'm not saying Duke can't win a national championship, but I think that's the that's the part of this race where Duke has to answer, Duke has to run that through and have role definition if they want to be in, you know, I'm sure it's really important for them to be in Connor O'Neill's list of teams that can win the national championship. But I think if if I see that from them in the next month and it can start in this game, like this is the game that this is the game that you see everything through the prism of, right? Like this is the measuring stick. If you get that in this game, then I'm going to start thinking like, okay, you've got it. Like you've, you've done it. You know, who drives the bus, you know, where everybody needs to pick their spots and be effective. Yep. I mean, I, to go off of that, I agree. Like I already said, RJ Davis is going to get 20, make it six of 18, make them work for it. Like you said, make them insufficient. And I think for Duke to go off of that, UNC is not really a good three-point shooting team. But outside of R.J. Davis, I did I ran the numbers. They're 33% from three. So it's not a really good shooting team. Uh, so let others shoot threes. And also, I'm not even saying win the boards. You don't have to win the boards, Duke. But what Duke has to do is they have to give up no more than 12 offensive rebounds. Because if they're missing from three, Duke's got to get those defensive rebounds and very – Make sure there is no second chance points. Make sure it's 10 or less second chance points, probably even less than that. But I'd say 10 to 12 offensive rebounds is the max you can give up because it's a slippery slope when you start giving up 15 or more. That's not a winning recipe. And obviously the one strength Baycott has proven is he's a hell of a rebounder. We've already touched on Ingram. And then Cadeau is a good rebounding guard. So Duke's going to have to – they're going to be undersized like they've been all year besides the Virginia Tech game. But it's gang rebounding. And Jared McCain's gonna have to get ten more rebounds like he did against Virginia Tech. So it's his second. It's his second double-digit rebounding game too. Yeah, it's crazy. He didn't have a double-double. He had nine points and ten rebounds. Let's but, the, the throw one little stat in there. Uh, the seven Duke players who played at least like ten minutes or more, um, and the seven Duke players who took a shot last night, five of them shot better than fifty percent or fifty percent. The two that didn't. Jared McCain had 10 rebounds and Jeremy Roach was your team leader with 16 points and he was four or five on threes. So he just missed at the rim and in the mid range. If you can have that that kind of offensive performance, you might be able to survive an RJ Davis 30 piece. Oh, absolutely. It's going to look regardless. It's going to be a great game. Like everything we just said is going to be out the window. Baycott's going to have 20 and 10 after I just said that he's been non-existent and that's just how the world works, dude. It's going to, it's going to be, I'm going to be cold tech exposed. Now that we're on YouTube, this is going to be clipped and I'm going to be in trouble, but Connor brother, I appreciate it. This is our first episode. I will say on YouTube 48th episode in total. So I appreciate the, reoccurring listeners i appreciate the new viewers and connor i'll see you next week and hopefully we'll be recapping a duke win against unc sounds good